If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Normalcy. <laughs> oh, I love the radio industry. I say it all the time. I love the radio industry. And I love the. In fact, let's do this. Let's just do this. Um, in this hour, we've got Frank Ferduccio. We've also got Parisia, whoever that is, Cynthia Collins, and Sandra Lee. Um, you know, I do a lot of interviews across the country and around the world for jobs, and I've been doing them since 2010, and I've come into these things called get-to-know-you calls. I don't know what these things are. I just decided if you're not going to do it for real, I'm out. Okay. I think we've got Frank Vernuccio. Frank, how are you, sir? It's great to be with you. <laughs> how are you? Um, so, Frank, there is a lot going on. Um, what is this? What is the latest here with um, monkeypox? Seems to be a big story. You know, I looked at some of the numbers of the monkeypox. It doesn't appear to be anything remotely as contagious as uh, certainly as COVID, um, it seems that it's much uh, harder to transmit from person to person. It requires fairly significant per- interpersonal contact. Um, I can't help but think, though, that there are a lot of folks who uh, got a lot of power and a lot of authority under COVID, and they just hate to see it go. And I think monkeypox <laughs> is uh, kind of like a a... a, a, a lifeguard or a life vest they're holding on to just to say we can continue this a little longer we can have our authority just a bit longer we have got a great guest with us today frank vernuccio joins us here on our big broadcast so frank what are some of the news stories that um that you've been uh covering that uh, a lot of folks uh, haven't either heard about or haven't been paying attention in the news well, the president has been talking about declaring a climate change emergency. Um, and the fact is, this appears to be one huge power grab. The fact of the matter is, none of the claims that Mr. Biden has made would really change the nature of the climate at all. Not that it really needs much changing, but that it does seem to be a great way to seem to be a common theme in today's show, a great way to expand power of the federal government. Um, if, in fact, a climate change emergency is declared, it would give the president of the United States extraordinary authority, not just over energy matters, but just about over every aspect of our lives. You want to drive to grandma's today? Well, there's a climate emergency. Haven't you heard? 
you've got to account for whether it's appropriate that you take out that car today. We're seeing this more and more. It's amazing how all the remedies to the so-called climate change emergency always seem to wind up strengthening the federal government and putting money and power into the hands of politicians. So what, 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 what are some other details with this story? Because this is a very interesting story you've brought up here. Well, the president is saying that there is a climate change emergency and he wants to assume powers over various aspects of the yes. economy and over basically our daily lives. Um, but yet, if you look at the actual records, I, I started off thinking that this was a real problem. We had to address it and address it significantly. But when you look at the numbers, it doesn't make a lot of sense. A guest on my show came on and said, I want to tell you about a, a real start of something that could be climate change. He goes, back in 96, he goes, in Arizona, the weather was the hottest ever on record. In California, there was a terrible drought. In the Midwest, there were awful tornadoes. Oh, did I mention that was 1896? Wow. If we look at those who say that Hurricane Sandy, uh, which devastated New Orleans, was a symbol of climate change. Well, then you go back to the history books, and we remember that American Indians were telling the pioneers who were developing New Orleans, that's a really dumb place to put a city. Uh, every couple of years, this terrible storm comes in, pretty much floods the area, and moves out. Don't put a city there. Well, that, of course, was back in the 18th century, um, and yet, when Sandy came along, we were told it was climate change that devastated New Orleans. Now, look, these so-called remedies are causing more harm than good. This coming winter, our friends in Europe are going to be looking at potential freezing in their homes because they won't have enough natural gas to heat their homes. They're looking at major food shortages. All this being blown, all this is a result of remedies for the so-called climate change, and yet the harm that's being produced is far more than any good that's being produced. We need to take a careful look. We look at so-called remedies like electric cars, but the energy for electric cars comes from fossil fuel-generating electric plants, plants that, by the way, are already overtaxed. In the state of New York, the Empire Institute is telling us that uh, there are going to be rolling brownouts possibly if the temperature continues in the current heat wave. Well, that would mean, for example, that those electric cars, if you're running out of fuel or out of electricity while you're on the road and there's a rolling blackout, a rolling brownout, you're in trouble. California, the exact same thing. They're already talking about limiting rationing energy. Same thing. If you're rationing energy, electricity, where are those electric cars going to get charged? Doesn't make a lot of sense. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast, the fantastic Frank Vernuccio. So, Frank, uh, there is a rumor now that the uh, the Russians are going to abandon the space station and build their own space station. What what what, what do you make of all this? Yeah, that's been talked about for quite some time. There have been real tensions on the space station between, or not on the station, but about the space station between Moscow and Washington. I think, unfortunately, it's almost an inevitability. As relations with Russia deteriorate, 
the ability to work in a high-tech environment like the space station is becoming more of a problem. But I think there's another aspect that hasn't been discussed yet. The Chinese are building their own very advanced space station. My guess is that in a couple of years, we're going to see the Russians team up with the Chinese to develop their own space station or to build higher or to build more of the Chinese space station. And that that natural partnership that we're seeing growing between Russia and China will become a new focus in space. Uh, the Americans will continue to work with the Europeans and the Japanese, uh, but the Russians will be working with the Chinese. What happens in space is simply a reflection of what happens right here on good old planet Earth. We have got a great guest with us today. The great Frank Fernuccio joins us here in our broadcast. So bring us up to speed on your, uh, your radio program and TV show coming up this week. Well, we're going to be talking to Richard Battle, an author, and he's going to be talking about what's going on at the border and whether that fight between Governor Abbott and Joe Biden is going to get more intense. Right now, we're seeing Biden increasingly concentrate on trying to protect the border. The question is, will that bring him into a clash with, uh, with Washington? Seems likely that it will. Frank Fernuccio joins us, and Frank, we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Fantastic. Great speaking with you. Thank you, my friend. There he goes. He's got phones buzzing. We got phones buzzing. We got to go to our next guest. Attention Medicare beneficiaries. Are you getting all the benefits you need? If you have Medicare, you may now be able to get new benefits. Benefits may include eyeglasses, wellness visits, gym membership, meal delivery, and hearing aids with low copay. To find out which benefits you qualify for and to find out if you're getting the benefits that you deserve, you need to call Best Medicare. Our licensed insurance agents can look up your current benefits and tell you what additional benefits are available to you. It's easy. Just one call. Tell us the deductibles you prefer, the doctors you want to see, and if you want prescription drug coverage. The service is free and you have no obligation. You may even find plans with zero monthly plan premiums, zero co-pays on many services, and zero deductibles. You deserve every medical care coverage benefit out there and we'll help you get them. Call 800-991-7014-800-991-247-365. The number two internet radio program according to TalkStreamLive.com. This is the Jiggy Jaguar Radio Show. Welcome back to our big broadcast. We are live coast to coast and border to border on iHeart247.com. And we have got a great guest joining us today here on our big broadcast. The good doctor joins us. And um, I'll tell you, my friend, you have got quite the deal here. You are one of the inventors behind Infuse She. Tell us a little bit about this, my friend. Thank you for having me. Uh, So my name is Dr. Philip. I uh, am an internist and a cardiologist, and my partner, Dr. Nayar, who is a nephrologist and an internist, we both came up with this uh, rehydration product. It's a powder that we mix in the water. 
that we felt our patients needed desperately um, because a lot of the products on the market had some of the content that we needed, but at the same time, it was overloaded with things that we didn't want. And we felt bad telling our patients to drink that stuff because they needed some of the electrolytes. So we were inspired to make a, uh, a healthy alternative, again, doctor-created, which is something we have not seen on the market. That's the reason we wanted to make it. It's seven essential electrolytes and a ton of important vitamins as well. Um, you, you mix that with zinc, magnesium, we mix it in the water, and that stuff is like magic for our body. Fantastic. So how did you guys come up with this and, uh, and bring this thing to so life? My, yeah, so my partner, is, a, is a, he's the electrolyte fluid specialist. That's, that's what he does. He's a kidney specialist. I'm a heart specialist. So we both had the, the angles of, of uh, the organs that we see in everyday life. We knew exactly what we needed, you know, just to start. Why, why, why is it so important, right? Especially now, by the way, when the heat is uh, out of control. But even if, when it's not super hot outside, just day-to-day living, whether you, it doesn't matter what age you are, we all burn through electrolytes. We get dehydrated so easily. And if all we do is drink coffee and tea every day. And then on top of that, we drink a ton of water. I'm sure you've heard this before. Hey, you've got to drink half your weight in, in water yes. so they can stay healthy. That kind of overhydration with water and then dehydration from coffee and tea gets us in trouble big time. And every day adds up. And when we don't properly balance it, we just feel like these dry rags that feel super duper awful, right? We'll get headaches, get dizzy, we get muscle cramps, heart palpitations, fatigue. We feel just total mental haze. And and you say this, oh, I'm just getting old. This is just you know part of aging, but it doesn't have to be, right? It as long as we properly balance our electrolytes, we, you could theoretically still feel like you're 18. This is amazing. We have got some uh, great guests with us today. The Infuse Chai team joins us today to discuss the hydration formula and uh, talking a little bit about your health and um, boosting your immune system. So, so talk to us a little bit about how you guys do all this and how, uh, how you help to... Uh, Boost the immune system. So, you know, to first understand that, we have to understand what is, what is immunity, right? So immunity is our cells, our body, small little uh, cells that have a ton of machinery that needs to make antibodies. So anytime we come across a disease or a pathogen, virus, bacteria, our factories have to start making very important proteins. Those proteins start to in form of uh, antibodies, right? That's what the whole concept of vaccines. And so whenever our machinery needs to start turning up a lot of these antibodies, whether it's naturally from seeing the pathogen for the first time or through a vaccine, it is super important to be properly balanced with, uh, with electrolytes because those machines are driven by electrolytes. Uh, also vitamin C, magnesium, zinc, all a super important uh, part in that equation. And as soon as we are lacking those very important ingredients, we get in trouble because then we get sick more often. We get, uh, uh, we, we, we get to feel like we are just totally, uh, we have aged more than we have to. We have got some great guests with us today. Now, um, you guys, uh, how, how does all this work with uh, all the different health concerns out there with folks and with COVID-19 and all these various things that are happening? So something, you know, uh, my partner and I, Dr. Nayar, 
and I, we, we have seen thousands of patients. You know, since it started, our, our practice has never shut down. I'm sure you've heard many practices have went out of business. They, for fear, or some, some have really uh, did poorly with COVID, got sick, and then just never wanted to be exposed again. And so we have been seeing patients since day one. And one thing, one underlying thread that you can connect everyone we have seen so far post-COVID is that COVID is a severe dehydrator. It, it just drains us of, of because of fever, because of, again, this need for antibodies to be made innately because our bodies need to start to fight this pathogen. So we are just evaporating electrolytes at a, at, at a tremendous pace. And so whenever we don't properly replace them, you get to hear these symptoms of, uh, that I mentioned before. People have headaches. They feel tired. And I'm sure everybody so far has heard long COVID, right? Like, you know, everybody talks about long COVID, but very few people are talking about the solutions, right? So what is the solution to long COVID? And if you really listen carefully, it's the symptoms that we, uh, we've just described, right? It's, it's this fatigue. They're never able to bounce back. They feel like their muscles are achy. They feel like their joints are achy. They feel like they're, they just can't focus. They're just kind of floating out there in the world. Uh, zero energy, right? So that's long COVID, and that is how we, we, we fight it. We fight it with properly rebalancing, re-lubricating our bodies so that we can feel the oomph, right? I always ask my patients, if you had to choose one thing that you, you can say, what, what is it that bothers you? And a lot of them say, listen, I've lost my mojo, right? I lost my oomph. And this is what we're trying to give them. We're trying to give them that, that energy, that innate energy that they had growing up and as young adults. And all of us want to have it despite of, of what our age is. We have got a great guest with us today. The good doctor joins us here on our big broadcast. So uh, you have got quite the background. Uh, just reading about you on the web, you have got uh, a heck of a medical background. Uh, could something like this have been done years ago, or was the technology not there? I think that what's happened so far is that people have just thrown uh, a bunch of salt in the, in the water and called it electrolytes. And as a cardiologist, you know, we see a lot of people overhydrating with just salt, and they get in trouble because they just retain too much water. They retain too they, they get ankle swellings. And, uh, you know, to fine-tune it, you have to understand the pathophysiology. You have to understand the cellular biology. And nobody understands it better than, than the specialists in the field. And I'm so happy that we said, you know what, listen, until now we were happy with the, the options out there. But in few she just goes an extra mile. It takes away a lot of the extra uh, chemicals, uh, the coloring. And you hear about this on the news now, especially with, with, with a lot of the stuff that came out with the, with the food coloring, how bad it is for us, right? So it takes a lot of the extras that keep these liquids out there on the market uh, that were available until now. It's totally organic and healthy, um, something that we are proud to tell our patients. And, and thousands of our patients have been drinking it. And, you know, we are so happy that we can tell them, listen, I finally I don't have to give you another pill. And we're good at giving pills, right? That's what we do as physicians, synonymous, right? Here's the medication, feel better. But finally, from the holistic perspective, we can say to people, you know what, let me, let me not rush and put you on this extra pill or extra medication or extra antibiotic. You know, there is room for that. But right now, you know what? I think you can just do better and feel much better and not have to waste a million dollars in workups because that's what we do again with physicians, right? We are investigators. 
You don't feel well? Well, let me investigate that. Let me see why is it that you don't feel well. And then you do this million-dollar workup. You do a CAT scan, the MRIs. You know, you, you do the blood work. And then you tell them, you know what, sir? You are fine. Oh, ma'am, you, you, there's nothing wrong with you. And then look at you like after months and months of investigation, you tell me I'm fine? Well, I'm not fine, Dr. So-and-so. I am actually feeling terrible. Why can't you help me? You know, and then we, if you listen enough to your patients instead of just walking out of the room after two minutes, because you said your results are normal. How many times have we heard that as, as patients, right? Well, we've done all the workup. Your results are normal. Sorry, it must be something wrong with you. you. You must be anxious. You must be depressed. No. There is something going on. There is something more subtle going on. And all you need is to really replace a lot of the natural stuff that your body's been missing. And once you do, and all of a sudden, you're starting to feel like you're coming back to normal. We have got a great guest for this today. Before we let you go, my friend, how do we get in touch with you online, purchase all this, and get involved with what you're doing? So Infuse Chi is now available on the website. It's available on the Amazon. If you wanted to reach us, we're always looking for great collabs. Absolutely. Uh, it's through our website, www.infusechi.com. There's a way to contact us through there. And then if you just want to order it and feel great, you just go on Amazon, look us up at Infuse com or infuse she on the amazon and we are right there fantastic fantastic well uh i appreciate you making time for us today thanks for coming on my friend chatting with us and uh, we will talk to you soon have yourself a blessed day my friend thank you doctor i appreciate you having me thank you so much appreciate it there he goes that is the good doctor and we are going to take a time out. Before we do that, let's tell you about one of our fantastic new marketing partners over there at Transmedia Worldwide. What you see on your screen, ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching us on Twitch or any of the uh, television partners, a cheese press history. That's right. An ancient history curriculum. A set of 28 lessons for volume one of a four-volume history curriculum cycle. And they need your help over there at kickstarter.com. That's K-I-C-K-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com. Search a cheese press history. That's right. Ancient history curriculum. They have a set of 28 lessons for volume one of a four-volume history curriculum cycle. They need your help today. They need to get to their $3,000 goal, and they need some of your hard money today. Go over to K-I-C-K-S-T-A-R-T-E-R.com. Search a cheese press history. It's an ancient history curriculum. They need your help. Go help them out today and tell them you heard about it here. Transmedia Worldwide. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got more coming up on the other side. More of the big broadcast. We are back live here on our big broadcast. We have got a great guest with us today. Cindy Collins is the founder of SpeakHope.net. She speaks publicly of her personal story of abortion harm and its aftermath. Human trafficking and the need for our nation to return to a culture of life 
Through her over 35 years of outreach, Cindy has provided help and care to over 30,000 women and youth. She served on the Louisiana Governor's Human Trafficking Advisory and also an advisor to Operation Outcry, which is available at operationoutcry.org, which is a ministry to the Justice Foundation, which is txjf.org. She's been an advocate for women and children throughout the U.S. and the United Nations, in Israel, Hungary, Portugal, Poland, India, and Australia. And you can get more information, speakhope.net. And she joins us today here on our big, big broadcast. So, Cynthia, let's talk a little bit about your thoughts on the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Give me your take on this, my friend. Well, after hearing that bio, I'm tired. <laughs> um, but, you know, no kidding aside, uh, historic, very thankful that for the overturn of Roe v. Wade, uh, 50 years literally, of fighting this injustice against women and against babies and what I call this chosen generation. So uh, I, I believe that this is a turning point uh, for good things to turn around for our nation. So it's great to be with you today. So uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned, uh, what, what do you make of all this? Well, I can take it back to... Um, my story. In January of 1973, I was a college student in Pennsylvania, and I uh, was pregnant. And there's a long story behind of how that all came about, but I was pregnant. And I went to a Planned Parenthood facility in uh, Pittsburgh, and the only thing that they had to offer was abortion. And so I was really in the throes of uh, Roe v. Wade. It was January of 1973. So I went to Washington, D.C., had my first of multiple abortions. And when you talk about Roe v. Wade, y- you have to remember, or may, people may not know this, that it was based on a lie. Uh, Norma McCorvey, who came out later in her life and shared that she had never been raped and that um, she actually turned around and uh, really repented and and shared how it just really haunted her all the time of the children that died from that lie. And from that, the effect, I can just tell you, of the aftermath of abortion. And uh, for years and years, alcohol, drugs, uh, regret, deep regret, depression, uh, attempts of suicide, and self-hatred, uh, self no self-worth, all of those things that now I often hear from other women in the, you know, over 35 years or so of of counseling women like me who have abortion in their past. So my my take on it from uh, my experience and uh, also from the years of counseling is that abortion is based on a lie. It's not good for women. We certainly know that it's not good for babies or for children. And I can go back and connect the dots and see the aftermath of abortion, not only in my life, but in other women's lives. Uh, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And I look back, you know, James, and look at the aftermath in our in our nation. I don't know how old you are, my friend, but I can see the ripple effects down throughout my children. And uh, we're a nation and parents that have raised their children in post-abortion pain. So that's I'm thankful that Roe was uh, overturned. 
I believe that it was a day of justice, not only for babies, but for women, too. We have got a great guest with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast. So talk to us a little bit about the aftermath of abortion. Well, you know, I'm very aware that you have listeners that are like me that have abortion in their past. Uh, statistics show that about one in four to one in five American women by age 45 have abortion in their past. And many, like me, may have still buried that pain, not wanting to talk about it, not being able to find a safe place, but they know something's not right. There's depression, there's anger, there's um, a lingering guilt, there's a feeling of shame, there's a disconnect sometimes in our parenting because these children made it, my aborted children or my aborted child did not, addictions, food addictions, alcohol, drugs, all of those are the aftermath of abortion, including um, fertility problems. Uh, you know, there's health problems that women uh, have had. And I really believe, James, that we're at a point now where, with the overturn of Roe, that it's time for healing, and women may, and men may be being triggered from the abortion in their past, and it is time for healing uh, of the aftermath of Roe. And there's lots of places around our nation to find that healing. We have got a great guest with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast. So talk to us about the role of Operation Outcry in the Dobbs versus Jackson women's case that overturned Roe v. Wade. Well, Operation Outcry was a part of that. Um, it's a movement of women, and this is part of the healing. It's the redemptive part of healing of the aftermath of abortion, where women who have been hurt by abortion and have received a measure of healing, as mine was in my relationship with, with our Lord Jesus Christ, receiving forgiveness, lifting of the pain, and the redemptive part of that is Operation Outcry, using our voice so that other women in our nation know that abortion's not good for women and it hurts them. And so Alan Parker with the Justice Foundation collected uh, over 5,000, along with the women of Operation Outcry, collected over 5,000 declarations or legal affidavits, and they were simple one, uh, two-page forms that how, had on there how abortion hurt us, uh, whether it was physical or the emotional damage. And the voices of those women on that paper began to speak out in state legislators, like mine did in Louisiana, or uh, they went up to the Supreme Court. There were over 2,000 of those legal affidavits that were in an amicus brief on the Dobbs case that told the court that abortion hurts women. In fact, that particular case, that was, those were, most of those were second trimester abortions. And this is something that the court and even state legislators, they hadn't heard before. They were only hearing one side. And that's what Operation Outcry brings a voice to the pain of abortion so that our, our nation will know the truth. And it's by women, again, like I said, have been received a measure of healing and now are using their voices and their stories. We have got a great guest with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast and Border to Border on iHeartRadio today. And uh, human trafficking, predatory relationships, it's ties to the culture of death and exploitation. Tell us all about it. 
Okay. Well, let me just, I also want to give that website again of operationnotcry.org um, so that our listeners know to go there and find out more information about Operation Outcry. And you can even fill out an affidavit or a declaration and be a part of that movement. But with that, I started to realize that, you know, I think that if a woman is having, uh, being forced to have sex 25 to 30 times a day, surely during that time of her being held in bondage and being trafficked and enslaved, she's going to become pregnant one of those times. So if not more. So I started to do outreach, James. Um, I live outside of New Orleans and started to do outreach down on Bourbon Street because I also work at a pregnancy center. And I wanted to reach the least of these, the discounted, those who had no voice, and those were the women that were being trafficked or were being prostituted on, on Bourbon Street. So from there, I found that some of the women, they were actually were pregnant or they had been forced to have abortions or were being forced and felt like we had to be the answer to them in providing help and hope. At that time, I began to partner with Dr. Laura Letterer, who would also be another great guest for you, with GlobalCentorian.org. And she was doing a survey of over 200 women who had been trafficked and found just inadvertently, she wasn't really looking for this, but this is what came out, that 70% of those women that had been trafficked had been forced Uh, Well, 70% of the women who had been trafficked had become pregnant during trafficking. 55% of those women who had become pregnant had been forced to have abortions. And one had written on the survey that, as she could remember, she had had 17 abortions. And so in that survey, it also showed who had referred them, where they had gone, and just some real horror stories. So our portion of what we're really focusing in on, there's you know, many great fine trafficking organizations, rescue organizations and such, but our sort of thought is every captive deserves to be free both inside and outside the womb, and that's especially the children, the babies, and they need to be loved and cared for, and their their lives are worth saving. So as a pregnancy center and pregnancy center outreach locally, statewide, and nationally, we have partnered with Dr. Letterer and formed a training for pregnancy centers all throughout the United States to help them help women who have been trafficked and want help. And actually what happens, James, is often that baby gives her the strength to escape her trafficker and choose life for her child. That's a whole new, you know, sort of uh, thing that people hadn't realized that women were getting pregnant from from the trafficking, and and they wanted to have their babies. Well, before we go, how do we get in touch with you online, social media, websites? Okay, well, uh, you can get in touch with me at speakhope.net. That's speakhope.net. Perfect. We are back live here. On our big broadcast, we are coast to coast. We are border to border on iHeartRadio today, and we have got a fabulous, fabulous guest joining us here via the magic of the old Skip Skype. Yes, the old Skype Rooney, and we have got a great guest with us today. Go ahead and uh, give me a brief introduction on yourself, my friend. Tell us a little bit about yourself. 
Hi, thank you for having me. My name is Claudia Clark, and I am an American activist, social justice activist, and author currently living in Berlin. I am here today to talk about my um, my latest book called The uh, Dear Barack, The Extraordinary Partnership of Barack Obama and Angela Merkel. So this book, uh, why did you decide to write this book? Well, I knew when I decided I was going to write the book, I was still living in the United States, but I knew we were moving to Germany. I studied history and political science in college, and I don't speak German very well. And so I knew I needed to do something to keep myself occupied. I'd to can you hear me? I've got you. I've got you. Here's here's the deal. Our show is about the guest. You keep talking, my friend. Nobody's here for me. Tell us all about this book. Okay. So anyway, uh, the book is about the relationship between President Obama and Chancellor Merkel. Uh, it is... It, they had a unique relationship because they were from two different political spheres and they they on the surface they couldn't be more different than one another merkel was the head of the center right party in germany and obama was the head of the center left party in the united states and in addition to having different political philosophies Personality-wise, they were different, too. You know, Obama was the charismatic speaker, and Merkel was the no-nonsense, very, very behind-the-scenes uh, um, um, arm wrestler to get things done behind the deal-breaker. And so the two had a very—they were very, very, very different from one another. But they formed this bond— and they, you know, it was, and what this book does is it talks about how they, they, had, they were two leaders that did not, want, they, they were skeptical of one another. And we, we go from two leaders that were very skeptical of one another to the very end when Merkel cried when she said goodbye to Obama for the final time. And the very last call he made as a, as the president before he left office was to Chancellor Merkel. So the book traces that relationship and all the highs and lows during their eight years working together. We have got a great guest with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast. Claudia Clark is with us, author, speaker, activist. And uh, she, of course, has ClaudiaClarkAuthor.com. And Dear Barack, the extraordinary partnership of Barack Obama and Angela Merkel. And uh, she joins us today here via Skype. So tell us a little bit more about this book. Um, tell me about the writing process for the book. The writing was um, what I did is I because I'm a, I'm a new author and I was I was um, writing a book about two of the most powerful people in the world and so I wanted I knew I was going to have it was going to be challenging to have to find a publisher so I was very very meticulous I spent months and months and months researching and. As such, I had, um, you know, the book has over 100 pages of references. Um, and I also, I spent money on an editor. And I had, before I even turned over the manuscript to an editor or to a publisher, I had two different editors uh, review it so that I could make sure it was as good as I, it could be. If, I figured if people wanted to find fault in it because they didn't like Obama or they didn't like Miracle or they didn't like my hypothesis, they thought I, I said, you know, I 
place too much emphasis on, on one thing or another. That was fair. But what I didn't want was people to criticize it for not being well-researched or not being well-written. And so I was very, I spent a lot of time trying to make it as perfect as, as it can be. And, and of course, you know, any artist will tell you there's always room for improvement, but um, I am, you know, even now I find things I wish I could have done differently, but I was adamant that it be as good as it could be. We've got a great guest today. Claudia Clark joins us. Her website, ClaudiaClarkArthur.com. Dear Barack, the extraordinary partnership of Barack Obama and Angela Merkel. And she joins us today via Skype here on our big broadcast. So what are some of your goals for this book? My my biggest goal is I, I, I wrote this book because I was concerned about the rhetoric of the Trump administration. And not just Trump, but I was concerned with what was going on in in the EU with Brexit, with um, what was happening with Crimea, with with Putin. And I was a little concerned about, um, you know, we live in a very globalized world, whether we like it or not. And the rhetoric of world leaders at the time trying to keep um, their countries isolated in order to protect their borders. I, I, in the the, you know, the rhetoric of trying to do that kind of scared me because whether we like it or not, you know, we, we do need to rely on the intelligence officers and the intelligence groups of different organizations. Wanted people to realize that beside, beside the fact that Merkel and Obama had different political agendas and, and ideologies, they were able to form such a formidable bond where Obama gave Merkel the Medal of Freedom Award. That's um, that, and so that was that's one thesis. That's one thing I want people to get get away from is that it is okay to admit when you're wrong, when you have differences of opinion, and still work together. And there's nothing wrong with that. And the other thing I really and I think this is the more overreaching theme, is that with everything facing the world today, whether it's climate change, whether it's a terrorist attack that's being planned in you know in an apartment in Belgium or in Canada, it is vital that world leaders be able to get along with one another and trust one another. And I and that's kind of my those are my two takeaways, I think, from from the book. And I want people to get that. And I also I, I want people to understand that yes, I do I do have a um, a soft spot for President Obama and, and Chancellor Merkel both, but they they were wrong on issues, and I called them out where, where I thought they were wrong. But I want people to understand you don't really have to like either one of them or agree with any of their policies to get something out of the book, because the book really is about the relationship and the relationship between the two countries more than it is about them and their policies. We have got a great guest joining us today here on Skype, the author of Dear Barack, The Extraordinary Partnership of Barack Obama and Angela Merkel. For more information, visit our website, www.claudiaclockarthur.com. That's claudiaclockarthur.com. And Claudia Clark is with us today. She joins us live here on our big broadcast. So this book, incredibly well written. Tell me a little bit about some advanced feedback or reviews or anything you've got on the book so far. Well, I am very, very humbled by the the positive reviews that I've gotten from the book. I was because I am an unknown author. I you know I tried at the very beginning to email key 
people from the Obama administration and people from the Merkel's administration. And and nobody, I didn't get any return phone calls or any return emails. So most, every single one of my, um, my, my uh, research is based upon everything that's public domain, books, uh, um, journal articles, newspaper articles, but I, I compiled everything together. And I was a little concerned about that, that people were going to be upset about that, that I didn't have firsthand accounts of interviews with the Obama staffers or um, miracle staffers. But I'm very pleased with uh, the general consensus of the reviews people are saying. The first thing, the first two things people say is how well written it is and how well researched it is, which is what Ultimately, my goal was, like I mentioned a few minutes ago. And the other thing I think people I'm, I'm very pleased with is that people are, the, the reviews I'm getting, people are commenting that in the political world, things are often cold and ruthless and heartless. And this book is not that. And, you know, I, I wrote this in the midst of when I was writing this during the Trump administration, when book after book after book was being written about the, the negativity of what was going on in the United States at the time. And, and I did not want to go down that road. I, I wanted to keep it as positive as I could. And there are, you know, I dedicate an entire chapter to when Obama had wiretapped Merkel's cell phone. But because it would have been irresponsible for me not to, because it was a major deal. But I made sure to include that, and um, and much to my my pleasure, people are commenting about how how thorough and how inclusive the book is. We have got a great guest with us today. Claudia Clark is with us. Claudia Clark author.com. Dear Barack, the extraordinary partnership of Barack Obama and Angela Merkel, and of course the author joins us today here on Skype. So this book, incredibly well written, you take a lot of time and effort to put the book together. Uh, what do you want readers to take away from your writing? I want, uh, my goal with this book was I wanted to reach a wide audience. I I didn't want it to be so academic that people, you didn't need a PhD in order to read the book and get something out of it. Conversely, I didn't want it to be so downplayed and so easily, so easily, you know, so easy to read that a PhD or a historian or, or a political scientist would be uninterested in the book. I wanted to strike a balance. And that's one of the comments that I, that's, in the reviews that I've gotten from the book is that people are pleased. They say that the narratives, it's easy to follow and you don't have to be a historian to, to um, get something out of it. You don't have to be a political scientist that it's, it, you can write about two important people and, and some of the, the most pressing events that face them, economic crisis, uh, the war in Crimea, and you can write it in plain English without it being overbearing for people who don't have um, a previous background in economic policy or in uh, Russian and Ukraine um, policy. We have got a great guest with us today. Now, as we wrap up here with you, my friend, where do we um, get your book and, and everything else? You can, you've done an excellent job of, of, plugging the website, which is ClaudiaClarkAuthor.com, and there's information there. There are reviews on there, and there, um, there is information on how to order the book on the website, but you can also go to Amazon and 
get it that way. You can also, um, on the website, there's my ISBN is on there and you can take it and go to any local bookstore and just ask them to order, order it for you. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for joining us and we will talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend. Thank, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. There she goes. And that wraps it up for this segment. Written a great, great book here, my friend. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, I had covered these conflicts for many years as a national security correspondent for a magazine here in Washington called National Journal. And, uh, but covered them kind of from a strategic level, talking to the generals and about their decisions. And, and, uh, and I had always been very impressed with the young troops on the front lines and wanted to somehow tell that their stories because um, they're the ones whose lives are most impacted by those strategic decisions. And so I got a, a chance to do that when the Navy reached out to me and gave me an exclusive interview with the most recent Medal of Honor recipient at that time, who was a Navy SEAL named uh, Britt Slabinski. And I just found his story so just uh, amazing. It, it was heart-wrenching, tragic in many ways. A lot of people lost in the, in the battle. But the, the, the courage of him and his teammates as well, uh, and there were two Medal of Honor recipients from that same battle, um, but his whole team was just uh, had made, whenever they had a chance to make the easy decision, the safe decision, they... They took the hard decision to watch each other's back and not leave a man behind. And, and I just found that very inspiring, so I wanted to tell more of those stories. That's awesome. That's awesome. We have got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here on our big broadcast, Coast to Coast, Border to Border on the Quad Pod. So this book, incredibly well written. Talk to me a little bit about your writing process. Well, I mean, the, the writing process, first and foremost, you do your research. Uh, many of these uh, recipients I was lucky enough to talk to and do interviews with. Um, some up, you know, There were quite a number who received it posthumously, so I talked when I could to their families. Um, just to get a sense for, you know, how these people came to, uh, you know, reflect such strong values and encouraged and uh and then when the, the research was done i sat down in front of my computer and started writing and that's uh every every writer knows uh what that's like we have got a great guest to this today he joins us live